if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here in this place with us now, this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I decided a couple of weeks ago to intentionally wear my collar around town more often. I've never been somebody who wore it out in public very much. It's really not that comfortable. And it forces me to be potentially available to people I don't know in a way that doesn't come supernaturally to me. Uh, But as Christianity becomes more and more countercultural, I felt an urge to own that, to be potentially available to people, to be, I don't know, something of a walking sermon in the world. And wouldn't you know it, I put my collar on and got in public and it immediately starts having an effect. During one appointment that I have every single week and have had for several years, the young lady with whom I was meeting just last week said, I've never seen you in your work clothes before. (laughs) And then out of the blue, without any kind of prompting, in a meeting that's always been totally pro forma and impersonal, she starts telling me about two women she knows who so much in love recently bought a house together. I could almost see her winking at me, you know, nudging me in the ribs. She might as well have been saying, two women living together? What do you and your Christian church think about that? This happened the same week that Aya found herself in a series of yoga classes with the instructor asking her to get in touch with her chakras, repeat mantras declaring her cosmic intentions, relate to Mother Earth and open her third eye. She also heard about the power of being true to her authentic self. This is the weekend of Pride Festival in Louisville. The world is preaching sermons, let me tell you. They're not the sermons of the Bible. And then I opened the suggested readings for this morning and saw that Jesus is teaching on church discipline. In other words, he would have us ready for the challenges brought forth by our culture, moving as far as it has from biblical truth. He wants his church to be disciplined. Now, of course, Matthew chapter 18, the reading before us this morning, deals specifically with the discipline of a member of a Christian congregation. But I think that in listening to what this text has to teach us, we'll be confronted with a much more fundamental question. Are we going to be a body that takes sin seriously or not? And therefore, are we going to be a body that takes repentance and restoration seriously or not? You see, we discipline ourselves as a church seeking repentance and restoration so that we can be disciplined in the face of the world. And therefore able to share the good news with the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ and his saving love. Dealing rightly 
with unrepentant sin in the church will prepare us to deal with unrepentant sin in the world. Now, I have traditionally felt about this text as I have felt about wearing my collar to the coffee shop. A little hesitant. After all, I want to be about preaching the good news week by week. The motto of our church is announcing Christ's finished work to a worn-out world. After all, where does church discipline fit into that? Won't a topic like this just wear us out all the more? I think, though, that if we are careful and true in our interpretation, we can find good news even in a passage like this, which details what to do with a sinner who refuses to repent even to the point of separating them from the worshiping community. And the first place to look for good news in this text is in the why. As in, why do we do church discipline in the first place? It is such a downer. Why would a church engage in this practice? It seems so cold. Anything that potentially ends with a person being removed from membership in the body seems antithetical to what we're supposed to be all about, doesn't it? Where is the grace here? But we must begin with a simple truth. Discipline is commanded by God. And while human discipline is always tainted by human sin, think of your father who spanked you or the nun who wrapped your knuckles with a ruler. I always think of the mother superior in the Blues Brothers wielding a giant fireplace poker. Even though humans can never discipline sinlessly, we are called by God to discipline ourselves and to discipline our children and to discipline our churches. Uh, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 talks about disciplining himself. Do you not know, he says, that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now he writes too in Ephesians chapter 6 about the discipline of children, telling them to obey and honor their parents. Now, you kids here this morning will be glad to hear that he also admonishes fathers not to exasperate their children. But he does ask parents to bring their kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that's, of course, to say nothing of the inspired word of the Lord in Proverbs, telling us to, quote, discipline your child and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. That's Proverbs 29, 17. And then there is, of course, the big kahuna. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. And then here, in Matthew chapter 18, we have a description of the discipline of the church. 
And what we see in all this discussion of discipline is what our culture wants to hide. That discipline is good because God, who is good, commands it. Even more, therefore, discipline is required because God is good. If God wasn't good, then sure, we could do whatever we want. And this is our culture's most cherished desire, right? No discipline, just be your authentic self. No rules, just right. Is Outback Steakhouse still saying that? No rules, just right? Well, we could do whatever we want and die apart from God. But God is good, so good. And so we submit ourselves to his word and his discipline, however uncomfortable it might make us. Of course, God being good is only half the issue here. The other half is that we're not. Right? God is good. That's fine. The problem is that we are not good. We're sinners. And that's why discipline, though necessary and good, never actually feels good. That's why it's so hard. That's why human discipline is so often corrupted by sin. But in the long term, a good God one who cares, one who disciplines his people and his church, is what we need. A good God is what we're desperate for. Because a good God is a God who can and will save. So let's dig into Matthew chapter 18. Discipline in the church. But notice something right off the bat. What is traditionally thought of as church discipline doesn't actually even need to enter the picture here, does it? If another member of the church sins against you, Jesus says, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. The Christian hope is that two people can be reconciled to each other one-on-one in private. Sin is acknowledged And repentance, reconciliation, and restoration happen right then. Christians confess to one another, and because they know how much they themselves have been forgiven by Almighty God, are able to forgive each other, too. We love, as John said, because he first loved us. That translates to, we forgive, because he first forgave us. Us. And I think this is the first piece of good news that we can take from this discipline passage. It should serve to remind us that all of this potential reconciliation is possible because of our prior forgiveness. Good news! You have been forgiven. We sinners can be reconciled, not only to God, but to one another. Christ's accomplishment on the cross, his finished work, is what makes any of this possible. But, but what happens when a brother or sister refuses to hear you and will not repent? That's when church discipline gets involved and where the text starts to make my collar feel a little tighter. After Jesus suggests that we go to the person who has sinned against us alone, he outlines a process 
in which first we do the same, go to the person in private, but bring some witnesses with us. And then if that doesn't work, we take the matter to the church. And then if we still don't have repentance and reconciliation, we are to treat that person, the one who has not repented of real sin, like a Gentile and a tax collector. Is there a way to hear good news in this text? Yes. Yes. And I believe that this is the way that we are called to read Jesus' words here. We discipline ourselves in order to protect our witness to the world and thereby to win the unbelieving world to Christ. We take sin seriously because we take forgiveness and redemption seriously. The church exists. We exist to make a certain kind of announcement to the world. Jesus has come. You are a great sinner. On your own, death is your certain destination. But you have a Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. Accept His righteousness for your very own and have a new life. That is our announcement to the world. And this announcement is almost impossible for an unbelieving world to hear. Think of my business meeting or Aya's yoga class. They do not want to hear what we have to say. They're preaching a totally different sermon. And if we're not making our announcement properly or truthfully, or if the message is getting garbled by an undisciplined, hypocritical church, forget it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about our calling. You are the salt of the earth, he says. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are salt. We are light. We should be a city on a hill. And if we're losing our saltiness or being hidden under a basket, something needs to be done because this world needs us too badly. There's so much bad news out there. And to cut through it, we have to be clear. For us to be heard, our proclamation must be disciplined. In other words, the church disciplines itself in order to proclaim the good news. This is all in service of the gospel. Now, we are fallen human beings. We are sinners. And that might make us seem and will certainly occasion the accusation that we are hypocrites to the unbelieving world. But nothing could be further from the truth. We are sinners, but as followers of Jesus, we confess our sins. We are repentant, and then because of Jesus Christ's finished work, we are forgiven. 
In Him we are reconciled and can be restored to relationship not only with God, but with each other too. Remember what we said at the very beginning. Our organizing principle, our governing assumption. God is good. We know that God is good and so Godly discipline in the manner commanded by God must be good too. We know that in Jesus' name and by God's grace, we have been raised to new life. And once we are living that new life, a miracle happens. We can hear the truth without its condemnation and hear the truth for what it really is, a description a beautiful description of the attributes of God. St. Paul says this explicitly. There is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. That's you. So when a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and tells you about a sin, or when the church comes to you with what you might otherwise perceive to be painful discipline. You might be able to see it by a miracle. (laughs) Hear me, this is a miracle. Not as a condemnation, but as a reminder of the righteousness and glory of Almighty God. We can see these things as reminders of just how good God is. Now, it might not feel good, It almost certainly won't feel good. No one likes to be shown their sin. But remember this. That very same goodness, righteousness, and glory is what Jesus gave up as he hung on the cross for you. A righteous and glorious God who then gives that righteousness and glory to you is very good news indeed. But I'm not done yet. I have two more quick, very quick pieces of good news for you. First, we're already doing this. We are disciplined, each one of us, every single week. When we hear the word of God read and preached, when we confess our shortcomings and sin, when we hear absolution in Jesus' name and feast at his table, our weekly liturgy functions as a kind of church discipline. We come before a holy God and are reminded of our sinfulness. We confess. We are forgiven. We reaffirm our faith in the creed. And then we eat and drink Christ's body and blood, reconciling ourselves once again to the God who made us and who saves us. In fact, it's basically only the people who refuse to do that who ever need to be subjected to some further form of church discipline. Most church discipline is as simple as come, listen to the words, and believe the good news again. Finally, there's good news even in that terrible last bit about treating the unrepentant brother or sister like a Gentile and a tax collector. Yes, it does say that we should treat the unrepentant person as though they are not one of us. But what does that mean? Well, how do we treat people who are not part of this worshiping community? How do we treat people who need Jesus? I, as yoga teacher, 
my business connection. Do we treat them with scorn or contempt? Of course not. We love our neighbor. We preach the gospel to them. Gentiles and tax collectors, those are the people to whom we are sent. The people for whom Jesus came. They are the ones ripe for conversion. So treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector is another way of saying love them. Preach to them. Work unceasingly to welcome them home. We take sin seriously because we take forgiveness and redemption seriously. So it turns out that church discipline is actually all about the gospel. The church disciplines itself because of the gospel to enable the proclamation of the gospel. And when confronted with somebody outside the bounds of our community, we proclaim the gospel to them in love. And that's where we find ourselves. Preaching the good news of Jesus Christ unrelentingly, both to you, people within the church, and preaching it unrelentingly to people outside the church. Proclaiming Christ's finished work to a worn out world. So let us, this morning, be disciplined by the word of God. Acknowledge that you are a desperate sinner. Call out to Christ and accept his completed saving work. Reaffirm your faith in the words of the creed, thanking God for reconciling himself to you in Jesus. Taste and know that Christ's body and blood is broken and shed for you. Know that you are in him alive today and forever. Amen.